0: Glory be to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Amen. Good morning. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. And today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. Perhaps you've heard that before or seen it embroidered on a throw pillow. Google attributes it to everybody from Eleanor Roosevelt to Justin Timberlake. My money is on Justin. Recognizing the present as a gift. Hundreds of dollars in therapy, thousands of articles and studies, millions of hours in prayer and meditation have surely been spent in the pursuit to discover how to be fully present in the moment. How to be fully attentive in the present so that it can be cherished or appreciated or held on to one day in the future as a precious memory. It's ironically a lot of pressure to just let go and live in the gift of the moment. It's like when I go to the gym or start a project and think, here I am doing this good and great thing, and my, the time just must be flying. Let me check my watch. Three minutes? It's been forever. Or if you are one of the lucky ones who have mastered the ability to turn off your brain and just be, then your joy and peace can be lost in a moment to an emergency or realizing that you've enjoyed the moment just a little too long and are late for your next engagement. Being present can often lead us to imagine a scenario where we kind of turn off, where we power down and wait in a sort of peaceful suspense. The moment becomes captured and preserved and the present becomes something we acknowledge and observe from afar, as opposed to actually living it. Today, however, I want to explore the idea that to be in the moment, to live into the gift, and to recognize the preciousness of this day or this hour is a tangible experience. That it's an incarnational living You see, for better or worse, for all of our cloud storage or scheduling in the future, this moment right now is tangibly all we have and all that we can hold. And this has to be a bodily experience. We can see the light streaming in through the windows. We hear the words of the liturgy. We'll touch one another's hands in greetings of peace. We smell the perfumes of floor varnish and sun-warmed clothing, and we'll taste the crispness of the wafer and the depth of the wine. So often, our focus on the body is when we are in pain, or when we're feeling amazing. It's about proclaiming a diagnosis And rarely do we just notice all of the ways in which we're absorbing an experience and processing it to form or not form a habit. We act as if our bodies operate independently of our minds instead of recognizing that we are experiencing constant feedback loops of our sensory experience. Easter is the celebration of the risen Christ— and though we can hear this story and tell this story, the real question is, how do we as Christians, how do we as Easter people live the resurrection? And friends, when I say resurrection, I mean the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ. I don't mean the all-too-familiar artist depiction of the resurrected Jesus, where you see the wounded hands and feet gently ex- extended out, and discounted of their tangibility, their very realness, by this sort of fuzzy, halo, all-encompassing glow. When I talk about resurrection, I mean that Jesus who lived, died, and lived again. I mean that his body became cold and rigid and was wrapped and buried in a tomb. And then Jesus, with the body that had lived and did die, was resurrected. That Jesus lived again. Art interprets Jesus as pretty real because the bodily resurrection is so hard to believe. Accounts of the resurrection vary across the Gospels, and so far we've heard from the Gospel of John. But today we hear a resurrection account from Luke. And before this in Luke, the women find two angels sitting on either side of the open tomb. And the angels ask them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And the women run back to tell the other followers what's happened. And Peter himself runs back to the open tomb and sees the linen shroud discarded on the floor. We move to the journey of two nameless followers walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, who are the first to encounter the risen Christ. But Luke writes that their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and it isn't until Jesus departs that they can recognize him by the way their hearts feel, by the way they physically responded to his presence. But today, today we experience the resurrection alongside of the disciples, The very realness of Jesus' resurrected body is shown through his vitality. And what is more vital to living than to use our simple and sublime senses? This resurrection is set apart from other accounts by Jesus' body being used in, well, in essentially bodily fashion and letting the disciples bear witness to it. The disciples see the face they know so well, and they can see the wounds left from the crucifixion. They hear the voice of their friend and teacher urging them to have peace. And they're invited to touch his wounds and to embrace him. And then in the mo- one of the most human reactions we see from Jesus in the Bible, after all of this hard work he's done of being crucified, died, and rising again, Jesus says... <laughs> What's that I smell? Is there something cooking? And the disciples with Jesus sit down to taste and eat broiled fish. Sight, sound, touch, smell, taste. This is the only resurrection account where Jesus employs all of his bodily senses. And the disciples both bear witness to him and share with him and using all of their senses as well. And in some ways, this is the most disturbing story of the resurrection, because Jesus is explicitly living. Jesus is living in this moment. But what in the world does this mean for us? One theologian writes, To insist on the reality of the resurrected body, is to demand that we accept our present reality as the place where transformations of ultimate significance take place. To insist on the reality of the resurrected body is to demand that we accept our present reality as a place where transformations of ultimate significance take place. Now, we frequently ask God to be present. We frequently ask God to bless or transform special moments in our lives, from baptisms to weddings to funerals. And we may even ask God to be present with us at very particular times, a presentation, an interview, or during a fight with someone whom we love. But how often do you and I welcome and accept our present reality as a place where God transforms us? This weekend, some of the 20s and 30s here at the cathedral got together at a member's new home. And amidst dinner and a rather ridiculous card game, we took time to do a house blessing. A house blessing, or celebration of a home, as the liturgy is formally called, is a service that we rarely employ, but it is simply and sublimely all about living in the moment and welcoming God's transformation in thought, word, and deed in the most familiar of settings. You travel from room to room and read a piece of scripture and pray. And the prayers are quite delightful because as you're moving from place to place, they're written to reflect our relationship with God and how Jesus lived into each concept. In the kitchen, you give thanks for the gifts of the earth that God provides for our sustenance. In the social rooms, you remember that Jesus broke bread and spent time with his friends and family. You acknowledge the need for rest and restoration. And so on Friday night, we're moving from room to room, and it's one of the most stereotypically Episcopalian services out there, and there are tons of options of rooms to bless, including libraries and terraces. And we find ourselves at the bathroom. So there are some sorts of laughter and a little shuffling of feet because, to be honest, there are some places that we'd really rather God not be with us. (laughs) But in a room where it's awkward to cram in a bunch of friends praying for your home, the prayer is actually deeply theological. Here it is. Oh, holy God, in the incarnation of your Son, our Lord, you made our flesh the instrument of your self-revelation. Give us a proper respect and revenance for our mortal bodies, keeping them clean and fair, whole and sound, that glorifying you in them we may confidently await our being clothed upon with spiritual bodies when that which is mortal is transformed by life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when you're standing there in a bathroom with a bunch of friends praying, it's hard to deny the humbling magnificence of the incarnation. God chose to reveal himself in flesh and blood and bone and the body of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus appears to the disciples, he does so not as a vision but as that first person whose mortal body was transformed by life. One of the gifts of a house blessing is that the words seem to echo in the air as you move from room to room. We invite God to become tangible for us, and for us to then express tangibly our relationship with God. We pray to be witnesses, not just for a slice in time, but instead to form this habit of living with God and being infused by God constantly through simply living, through experiencing sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell in the most common and humble of places, in our homes and in our bodies. The invitation that Jesus issues to his disciples is the peace of knowing that God's promises of the resurrection have been fulfilled. And this is made real. It's accepted in Luke's gospel because Jesus expresses a full humanity and a fully restored life. Can you imagine the sheer relief of the disciples to be present in this moment with Jesus? Just the mechanics of seeing him, hearing him, being able to touch him, to enjoy a meal with him, must have infused this simple moment with sublime meaning. The promise of the resurrection begins with Jesus' living again and continues in him naming the disciples as witnesses, as beholders of the truth and therefore bearers of the truth into the world. You and I are to be witnesses, too, of Jesus' resurrected body. We are not to proclaim a ghost-like apparition of Jesus after his death. What could be transformed in our lives and our living if we proclaimed this uncomfortable truth? Because being a witness is all about proclaiming with authority the truth of our experience, of life as we live it. And the disciples were able to do this because they beheld with all of their senses the risen Lord. And our witnessing with conviction and authority comes from our own encounters with the divine, our own experiences of transformed life existing in places of death and destruction and desolation. There were too many times to count at seminary where I witnessed people having many conversions on points of theology when the theoretical became suddenly tangible and there was a shift in heart that led to a conversion of action and a willingness to proclaim with authority. We had to face very uncomfortable things, aspects of faith we'd honestly never cared to be pushed to saying anything about, and hopefully not from a pulpit, much less living. But one night, after a particularly intense systematics theology class that spilled onto the patio and was aided in vehemence by everybody's beverage of choice, one student was hemming and hawing about the physical aspect of Jesus after his resurrection. The student was clinging to the comfortable image of, Jesus has wounds, but this sort of halo also negates that it was a body again. When another student stood up violently, knocking her chair over behind her, and yelled at the top of her voice, I believe in the bodily resurrection! It was hilarious and uncomfortable and a moment of truly living. Here's what's challenging. The truth is that denying the physical body of Christ in the resurrection accounts is a denial of God being incarnate in Christ. In this meal with the disciples, Jesus lives as the first fruits of the resurrection and physically shows us that death has been conquered and that he will lead us to new and transformed life. For us to live in the resurrection is to discover the extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. For us to live in the resurrection is to acknowledge the sublime in the guise of the simple. For us to live in the resurrection requires intention and practice. But more than anything, today Jesus invites us to witness that the resurrection, more than anything, requires our fully living.